Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Glad that you've made a decision to be part of our worship today. Let's pray together, shall we, as we continue our series called The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. It's a study and some basic ideas of why we celebrate Christmas. And today we talk about something heavenly touched mankind. Last week, we talked about someone wonderful is coming. And today we're going to take it a step further and see that something from heaven intruded itself. I mean that in a good sense, intruded itself into this dimension and touched mankind and we would never, ever be the same. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2, uh, the New King James Version. Now, what we'll notice today is that we are, we are following the notion that we talked about that the gospel was sort of like a dance. One leads, the other follows. And God is the leader. We are the follower. He is the one that initiates. We are the ones that respond. Now, next week, we're going to go into detail about responses that we see at Christmas. There were five of them that are pretty typical of what we see all around the world. And today we want to focus on God's initiative. We want to show that God gives the invitation. The scripture puts it this way, whosoever will may come. It's an invitation. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never, ever cast him away. So let's celebrate God's invitation. Next week, we'll, we'll uh, think about our response to that gracious invitation. And Father, we ask today that uh, as we read this text, it would come alive in our hearts. And may we understand how much we are loved in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 2 in verse 1, says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now here's the central truth that we want to think about today. Christmas is a movement in which God sends out a call and mankind has an opportunity to respond to it. All of the things that God seems to do for us begin with an invitation and then he waits for our response. Now, I know there are some things he does without us, without our approval, sometimes without our knowledge. I know there are exceptions to this, but generally God is eager for our response. Now, sometimes our response is not good. We think about uh, the response of Zechariah when he was told that he and Elizabeth were going to have a child after so many years of barrenness. He asked the question, he said, how can this be? You know, we've tried this, we've gone to all of the how-to fertility clinics and we've never had a child. And the more he talked, the more doubt he espoused and embraced and the angel finally said, look, I'm going to do you a favor. I am going to make it so that you cannot speak until the baby's born because you just keep digging a hole going deeper and deeper and deeper. God had determined what he was going to do. And sometimes he has to do it in spite of our response. But I want to tell you this, the greatest responses that we give Open the door for the greatest move of God. It's not by works. It's not because we're worthy, but God wants to partner with us. I think of the way that the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary. It was an amazing conversation. Mary was a young teenage girl that had no background to prepare her for what was about to happen. And the angel greeted her and then waited for her response. He told her what he was going to do or what specifically God was going to do. And then he waited for her response. She didn't say this can't happen. She said, how can this happen? How is this going to happen? And the angel assured her that the miraculous birth that would occur from her body would not be the work of man, but it would be the work of Almighty God. He said, that which is conceived in you is by the work of the Holy Spirit, not by the will of man. And he waited for her response again. She took it all in. And that young girl said, be it unto me according to the will of God. Oh, and that response opened such a door of blessing. So whenever God moves, let's respond. And speaking of that, I want to do a little commercial for next Sunday. Next Sunday, the message we're going to talk about responses. But I'm going to take a few minutes in the service next Sunday 
to talk to you about investment and in expanding in regard to the land that the Lord has given us and our plans for the future. You are going to be excited to hear what God is doing. It's a special project we've got laid out for 2022. And next Sunday, I'm going to tell you how you can be a part of it. Um, some of you may want to go ahead and invest this year in what we're going to do. Others will see, well, it's a 2022 project. I'll wait till then. But we are so excited to get this news out on the table before you so that we can uh, see all that God is going to do. And what we're praying is, God, you are moving. You are opening doors. Help us to be able to walk through those doors and help us to respond. That's what Mary did. And so that's kind of the theme for today and next Sunday. God initiates. God invites. We respond. We um, uh, follow his motion and his movement. So Christmas is a movement in which God sends out a call and mankind has opportunity to respond to it. Now, I want to focus on the wise men. The wise men are part of a much bigger story. Um, we're going to talk about the whole story next week. But I want you to just see uh, kind of the poster children for this idea of responding to the move of God. Now, there's a lot we don't know about the wise men. We don't know how many there were. Uh, tradition gives us the names of three, if that tradition is true. We have traditionally said there were three wise men. Most of you will go home to your nativity set that you just set out, and you'll have three wise men or the three magi. And tradition has said there are three, uh, number one, because of oral tradition, but number two, because there were three gifts that were given. So whether it was three or five or six, we don't know. But uh, these wise men saw his star in the east and they began to follow the star. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that background. God is stirring the heart. See, the, the town of Bethlehem had no idea. Joseph and Mary had limited understanding. And the ones that ought to have full knowledge were absolutely clueless about what God was doing. But nearly 1,725 miles away in Babylon, God was stirring the heart of these wise men and they took out on a trek. They took out on a journey that shows how seriously they responded to the invitation of God. Um, we, we call them wise men. We would, in our culture, they would be scholars or maybe a, a cross between astronomers and astrologers. They weren't believers in the sense that you and I are believers, but they had exposure to the greatest wise man that Babylon had ever known. His name was Daniel. Now, Daniel was no astrologer. Daniel was a prophet of the Most High God. But tradition tells us that Daniel was so highly esteemed that his prophetic writings were studied in the context of paganism in this culture that these wise men came from. Now, why do we call them wise men? Because they showed exceptional wisdom. 
Let me tell you three ways that they showed wisdom and then we'll try to tie this idea together. Number one, the wise men showed wisdom in their approach to Jesus. Um, there's a difference in admiring Jesus and worshiping Jesus. Society today does not have a problem if we admire Jesus. Some religions don't believe he was God. They don't believe he was virgin born. They don't believe he lived a sinless life. They don't believe he died a substitutionary death. They don't believe he was physically raised from the dead and ascended to the Father where he is seated at his right hand. They don't believe any of that, but they admire Jesus. They say he is the best man who ever lived. Now that's true, but it's one thing to admire Jesus. It's another thing to bow the knee to Jesus and worship him. And these wise men are wise because they not only followed the star and followed the signs, they would eventually bow the knee and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something, loved ones. I think many of us know it. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world are better acquainted with this fact than we are. But these wise men overcame incredible distance. It was from Bethlehem to Babylon, it was over 1,700 miles. And they didn't have super highways. They didn't have interstates. They didn't have even paved roads except in just some very limited places where the Roman government had influenced its, its um, planning and, and its modernization. They were, uh, they were traveling a great distance. 1,700 miles is a long way to go today in a Cadillac, but it was a very long way to go camelback instead of Cadillac. It was a very long way to go being part of a caravan instead of being part of AAA that moved you across country so expeditiously and so comfortly. There were no gas stations set up, no McDonald's along the way, few scenic overlooks. They overcame great distance and they are an inspiration to those of us that are overcoming daily the challenges of getting to church. So they overcame great distance. They overcame great discomfort. Um, it, travel, as I said, was not a comfortable um, experience in the days of these wise men. Um, you know, we all like to go camping and we like to go to, um, you know, various campgrounds and it's fun for a night it's tolerable for two nights, but by three nights, you're convinced you have bed bugs and, and some parasitic beast has invaded your body. You just, you're ready to get home, ready to get back in the air conditioning. But this was a very long journey that involved not only a great distance, but it involved great discomfort. And it not only was a, uh, covered in discomfort, but it was also covered in danger. One of the most dangerous things you could do in the days of the birth of Christ was to travel because robbers and men of violence 
knew the trade routes. And that's why people generally traveled in caravans. It was not safe to travel alone. Just, just ask the man on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. There were thieves. There were so many things that could go wrong. So many things that could go wrong. But they said, this news that we have heard, this sign in the heavens that we have seen, this invitation from God is worth the distance. It's worth the discomfort. It's worth the danger. And that's one reason we call them wise men. They knew that some things are worth what it costs. And pursuing Jesus is one of them. The second reason we call them wise is that they exhibited an openness to God's grace. Now, what made these men go this great distance through this great danger and discomfort? Did they just say, we're, you know, we want an adventure? You know, it's, it wasn't like traveling Route 66, uh, well, number one, they listen to the message of the scriptures. As I said, we know from scripture that the culture of the Magi were very familiar with the teachings of Daniel. You remember Daniel was a, was a hero in that culture. Through, through three or four administrations, he, was as, he, he shined as brightly as any star in the heavens. And he was highly regarded. And Daniel talked prophetically about a king that was going to come and was going to change the world. He talked about the rise and fall of kingdoms and of the kingdom that would have no end. So these wise men understood the message of the scriptures. Now, they didn't understand it as fully as we do. They didn't have a lot. But what they had, they understood that it was a message of invitation from God. So they, they listened to the message of the scriptures. They respected the message of the star. Now, we don't get our theology from stars. Now, we do know the scripture says that the heavens declare the glory of God. If we will honestly look at nature, it doesn't turn us away from God. It turns us to God. I mean, if we really want to look at creation with an honest, open heart, it's going to turn us to God, not from God. And there was, uh, there were at least four sources. We'll mention them next week. But there were at least four sources in the ancient world that, that had uh, put forth the idea that in this season... There was going to be a king born that would change the world. It, this didn't just happen in a vacuum. They didn't just see a star and say, hmm, that must mean a king's being born. No, they were looking for it. The whole ancient world, even the, the world that was pagan, said there's going to be a king born. It was, it, it was a prophetic um, thing in the air. And when this star appeared, and again, we'll talk about it next week. This wasn't just a, a, you know, another star that they found with a Hubble telescope. This was a star that was, that was big enough to draw attention. It was a star that changed direction. It was a star that would move and settle over the house where Jesus was. That's why it's called his star. 
It wasn't a natural occurrence. And that made them even more hungry to follow the star. Because if Daniel was right, a king was coming and this star suddenly appears, that would have spoke volumes to astronomers and astrologers alike. And so they, they listened to the message of scriptures and they respected the message of the star. We don't get our guidance from stars today, but God is just as able today to put a new star in the heavens as he is to do anything else. And they understood that the message of Daniel and the movement of this star were two things that God was using. And it was as though God was saying, come. You see, sometimes God works in those mysterious ways we, we, we read about uh, from the songwriter. He, he works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. And sometimes it seems like God is almost hiding from us. And then all of a sudden something appears, something magnificent. I used to play hide and seek with my kids when they were little. And I want to tell you, um, of course, I was a lot smaller then too, but it was easy to hide from my kids. I could hide and they would never find me. And, I, and sometimes I, I, I made it a challenge to hide so that they couldn't find me. But you know what I found out? They got very disinterested in that. They weren't happy looking for daddy and not being able to find him. So I changed my approach and I hid, but I made sure that they could find me. I might get under leaves and leave my arm out where they could see it. I might hide behind a tree, but made sure that my rear end was sticking out so they could spot where I was. God loves when we search for him and he loves it more when we find him. That's why he said, ask, seek, knock. All of those are a, are a present participle. All of those are saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And he said, and you will receive what you're looking for. And so these guys were following the star. And even when they got there, they learned that their faith was growing and they learned to listen to the voice of the spirit. You see, coincidence is one thing. Convergence is another thing. But when you have the witness of the Spirit begin to speak to your life, that makes you a very wise person because God's grace not only drops breadcrumbs along the way, sometimes God's grace appears in full glory and you come to a place where you understand not intuitively that something's going on, but you understand demonstratively that God is speaking to my heart and God is drawing me to a place where I receive his great grace and mercy. Now they were also wise not only in the way they approached Jesus, they were wise not only in their openness to God's grace, but they were wise in their gifts that they brought to Jesus. God was able to use them prophetically. One of them brought gold to Jesus, which spoke insightfully of Jesus' worth and worthiness. Gold was the gift for the king. They knew that a king was being born. And though the world did not recognize him as king, 
They knew by the teaching of the Spirit. They knew by the prophecy of Daniel. They knew by the work of the star that this little baby was somebody with a great future in front of him. His name was Jesus, but he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So they brought gold, the gift for a king. They brought frankincense, which spoke prophetically of the healing power of worship. Frankincense is associated with two things, basically, worship and healing. And these men, without understanding all the ramifications of the gospel, they said, this is a king that God told Daniel would be born. And this is a king that is to be worshiped. And as we worship him, he will bring healing to the nations. I don't know if they had ever heard the words of Isaiah. Maybe Daniel shared it with them. But the words of Isaiah read like this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We are made whole. They understood that he was worthy to be praised and that he was going to do something that would bring utter and complete healing to the people of God. Now, what do we learn from this? What do we take home from this? Well, there's some Christian life lessons I want to share with you. They're very simple, but they are life-changing because there are people here today, I suspect, if we're like most churches in the world or most gatherings in the world, in a group this big, there's someone here that doesn't feel like God is working for them. I talked to somebody this week, not a part of our church, but they said, I know what God promised. I know what the Bible says. I know what you've told me, but I just don't feel like God is with me. I don't feel like God is working for me. Now, I'm proud to say that before the week was over, they said, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I thought God was hiding. I thought God was angry with me. But since we've talked, God has moved in such a way that I know, that I know, that I know he's been working in my life. I want you to remember four things when you feel that way. Number one, God is working more than we know. He, he's working more than we know. Um, let me say that another way. God is working more than we know. Um, we, we feel that God isn't doing anything, but not only is he doing something, he's doing more than we realize he's doing. Mike Bickle said something that I absolutely loved. He said, in the course of my prayer, and Mike Bickle has a strong, healthy prayer life. He said, I may have a sense that God is doing three or four things in my life. And these three or four things are big to me. I have this sense that God is doing these three or four things. He said, but the fact of the matter is that God is probably doing 125 things in my life. And most of them, I have no clue whatsoever of what he's doing. No clue whatsoever. I remember that um, when I bought my first car, yes, when I was a teenager, they had cars. It was um, a 1968 Volkswagen Beetle. My mom and dad had the wisdom, when I started first grade, 
And we had a savings plan at school with a, with a, a savings and loan bank downtown. And I would bring in a dollar a week every Tuesday. I'd bring in my dollar to invest in, in, um, in savings or whatever I could bring in. And basically, at the end of my elementary school years, I had accumulated about $600. They say, that's not a, not a lot to buy a car. Well, you could get a fair car for $600, but I couldn't get my Volkswagen. It was $1,200. And I, I knew this was the car I wanted. My dad had had it checked out, but I knew I only had $600 and the car was $1,200. Knew it was $1,800, but I was buying it used for $1,200. And I was only halfway there. But you know what I had no idea about? My dad had said, now I'll match whatever you say. But I thought that was just incentive for me. I found out that every week I put a dollar in savings that my dad went by and put another dollar in savings. And when we went to the bank to take my $600 out, I had a little over $1,200. You see, I had no idea what my dad and mom had been doing, none whatsoever. They were working for years behind the scene, knowing that I was going to have a need for a vehicle one day, and I want to tell you, I didn't have a clue. I knew that I had $600 and that was it. And all of a sudden I had over $1,200 and I realized that my father had been working and I had no idea of what he was doing. Loved ones, let me tell you, especially if you're feeling like God's not involved in your life, God is working more than we know. The second life lesson is that God is working before we are even aware that he is working. Uh, long before the wise men got to the house where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus were, long before that, God was stirring the heart of these wise men. God was stirring the scripture that Daniel had written into a place of reality in their hearts long before they had any clue. They had a pretty good journey to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census where Joseph had to register. They had a pretty good trip, but it was nothing. It was nothing compared to the trip the wise men had made. So what I'm saying is that God was working before Mary and Joseph even had an inkling of an idea that God was working. Right now, you may say it's not going to work, but you don't know that God has already put a plan in motion and it is a plan for your welfare and your benefit. Third Christian life lesson. God is working something better than we hoped for. You know, I have a tendency when God challenges me to believe him for something, I, I have a tendency to want to compromise and say, Lord, you, you, don't, you don't have to do that. I don't deserve that. I, I'll settle for this. And, and it's true, I don't deserve that, but this is what God wants me to have. And I, I don't know if it's just inferiority thinking or what it is, but when God says, I'll do this for you, I have a tendency to, to say, well, that would be good, but I, I'll, I'll settle for this. I'll settle for this. But God wants us to know, now he's, he's, he's not into 
you know, he's, he's not a gumball machine where we put in a prayer and out comes a piece of candy. But he does want us to know that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even think. Now that amazes me because I can think of a lot of stuff. But he said, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Why? Because my mighty power is working in you. Oh, what manner of love, John says, the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. It's an alien kind of love. If we could ever, ever begin to see what kind of love the Father has for us, our whole mindset would change. So God is working more than I know. He's working before I'm aware of it. He's working something better than I had hoped for. And finally, God is working something deeper than I understand. Deeper than I understand. I want to close this message with a story from St. Peter's Church in um, uh, Oh, was it Hamilton, Massachusetts? I'm not sure now. But um, it was a, it's a true story about uh, a, a, a Christmas tablecloth. I read it and researched it, and, and it's, it's true. And it is a story that shows how much God is working behind the scenes when we don't even have a clue. Give me about five minutes while I read this story. The brand new pastor and his wife, newly assigned to their first ministry to reopen a church in suburban Brooklyn, arrived in early October, excited about their opportunities until they saw their church. It was very run down and needed much repair. They set a goal to have everything done in time to have their first service on Christmas Eve. Oh, what a great time to reopen a church. They worked hard repairing pews, plastering walls, painting, and so forth. And on December 18th, we're ahead of schedule and just about finished. On December 19th, a terrible storm, a driving tempest hit the area and lasted for two days. On December 21st, the pastor went over to the church. His heart sank when he saw that the roof had leaked and had caused a large area of plaster, about 20 feet by 8 feet, to fall off the front wall of the sanctuary just behind the pulpit, beginning about head high. The pastor cleaned up the mess on the floor, and not knowing what else to do but postpone the Christmas Eve service, he headed home. On the way home, he noticed that a local business was having a flea market type sale for charity, so he stopped in. One of the items was a beautiful handmade ivory colored crocheted tablecloth with exquisite work, fine colors, and a cross embroidered right in the center. It was just the right size, he discovered, to cover the hole in the front wall. He bought it and headed back to the church. By this time, it had started to snow, and an older woman running from the opposite direction was trying to catch the bus. She missed it, 
and the pastor invited her to wait in the warm church for the next bus, which would come 45 minutes later. She sat in a pew and paid no attention to the pastor. While he got a ladder, hangers, and so forth to put up the tablecloth as a wall tapestry, the pastor could hardly believe how beautiful it looked and how well it covered up the entire problem area. Then he noticed the woman walking down the center aisle. Her face was like a sheet. Pastor, she asked, where did you get that tablecloth? The pastor explained, and the woman asked him to check the lower right corner to see if the initials E-B-G were crocheted into it there. They were E-B-G. These were the initials of the woman, and she had made this tablecloth 35 years before in Austria. The woman could hardly believe uh, what was happening as the pastor told her how he had just gotten the tablecloth. The woman exclaimed that before the war, World War II, she and her husband were well-to-do people in Austria. When the Nazis came, she was forced to, uh, to leave. Her husband was going to follow her the next week, but he was captured, sent to prison, and she never saw her husband or her home again 35 years earlier. The pastor wanted to give her the tablecloth, but she made the pastor keep it for the church. The pastor insisted on driving her home. That was the least he could do. She lived on the other side of Staten Island and was only in Brooklyn for the day for a house cleaning job. What a wonderful service the pastor and his wife and their little congregation had on Christmas Eve. The church was almost full. The music and the spirit were great. At the end of the service, the pastor and his wife greeted everyone at the door, and many said that they would return. One older man, whom the pastor recognized from the neighborhood, continued to sit in one of the pews and stare. The pastor wondered why he wasn't leaving. The man asked him where he got the tablecloth on the front wall. It was identical, he said, to the one that his wife had made years ago when they lived in Austria before the war. And how could there be two tablecloths so much alike? He told the pastor how the Nazis came, how he was arrested after sending his wife away and, and uh, sending her away for, for her safety. He was supposed to follow her but he was arrested and put in prison. He never saw his wife, never saw his home again in all the 35 years between. The pastor asked him if he would allow him to take him for a little ride. They drove to Staten Island and to the same house where the pastor had taken the woman three days earlier. He helped the man climb the three flights of stairs to the woman's apartment. He knocked on the door and said, I then saw the greatest Christmas reunion that you could ever imagine. You understand what happened against all odds. An absolutely impossible thing occurred. As God kept his hand on a tablecloth, 
No telling where all it went. For 35 years, God ordered a storm to ruin a wall so that the tablecloth would be bought as a covering so that the woman would miss her bus and go into the church to stay warm and see the tablecloth and have it confirmed that it was the one she made because of her initials. And the pastor moved in his heart to take her home so that he knew where she lived. And the man shows up for a Christmas Eve service in a church he had never attended. And before the night is over, a man and woman that loved each other and thought that the other was dead, separated for 35 years, had the greatest Christmas Eve imaginable. And some of you are squalling like I do when I read that story usually. Some of you are saying that's absolutely amazing. Some of you are saying only God could do that. But loved ones, I want you to know God is working in your life right now. You may not know where your tablecloth is. You may not know where someone you love is. You may not know how something's going to be worked out. But Christmas, the very nature of Christmas, the very core and essence of Christmas is that heaven wants to do something incredible and it issues an invitation and all we have to do is respond. We're not designed to walk away from Christmas on December 26th. We're not designed to forget the celebration that brings us to church on a day like this. We're designed, even old Scrooge understood this, we're designed to live out a Christmas every day of the year. And loved ones, we may not have a Christmas tree up all year. We may not have the festive lights. They may not play Christmas music in the restaurant after Christmas Day. But I want to tell you, you and I are serving a God that will move heaven and earth to bring you to the encounter where you meet the Savior. Some of you may not know Jesus as your Savior, and you may think I'm here by coincidence, or it's a nice story, I've never heard it before, but it's just uh, happened to be. Loved ones, if you only knew how God has been working to bring you to a place, physically, spiritually, emotionally, where you pray the greatest prayer that's ever prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive me of my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. He will do that. He will do that. One of the pastors is coming now to give further direction. Thank you for letting me share with you today by video because of my having to be away. But God is moving. God is working. He has not forgotten you. I love you so much. Open your heart and respond to the king.